Hello, my name is Wang Yan, and I am a reporter with News China. With our weekly News China podcast, we aim to give insight into the trends and happenings in modern China through a historical lens. Today, we discuss why farming and learning was once a popular lifestyle among Asian Chinese scholars. Autumn is the season of harvest. But food supply is still an issue in today's world. Globally, around 14% of food produced is lost between harvest and retail, while an estimated 17% of total global food production is wasted, according to the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization. On September 9 and 11, the International Conference on Food Loss and Waste was held in Jinan, Shandong Province. An agriculture-intensive province in China, representatives from the G20, the world's 20 major economies, and international organizations agreed actions on reducing loss and waste throughout the supply chain from harvest to consumption. Food supply is not just an agricultural issue. On September 23, the first UN Food System Summit was held in New York. More than 150 countries made a joint commitment on transforming their food system to tackle hunger, poverty, gender equality, biodiversity, and climate change. September 23 is the autumnal equinox, when the day and night are equal, after which the sun appears to go south of the equator. Since 2018, Chinese farmers' harvest festival. Has been celebrated in China's rural areas on this day. A survey by the National Bureau of Statistics of China showed that 64% of Chinese lived in cities in 2020. It seems that events related to agriculture have no affinity for most Chinese. However, Chinese civilization originated from and was built on agriculture. This means. That agriculture means much more than food supply for Chinese. It shaped and defined the heart and soul of Chinese scholars for thousands of years. China's agriculture began to develop about ten thousand years ago along the middle and the lower reaches of the Yellow River and the Yangtze River. Agriculture already became the most important sector during the Shang Dynasty, which lasted from 1600 BCE. To 1046 BCE, its successor, the Western Zhou, created a culture that was based on protocols and music, which then became the core of the Chinese culture in the following thousands of years. In this Zhou culture, agriculture was highlighted. An epic in the Book of Odes, the earliest collection of Chinese poetry. Talked about the legendary birth and experience of the earliest ancestor of the Zhou, Hou Ji, the god of grain. Hou Ji's mother, Jiang Yuan, got pregnant after she stepped on a giant footstep, which was thought to be left by a god. Hou Ji knew how to grow various crops, such as grain and beans, even when he was a child. Ji in Chinese refers to grain. Another epic describes how Hou Ji's great grandson, Gong Liu, 
led the Zhou tribe to migrate to a better place and build a city-state there. He organized his tribe to pack food and take weapons before they started the journey. He selected sites for farming, hospitalry, and homes when they arrived at their destination, which was in the middle reaches of the Jin River in today's Shanxi province in China's northwest. The Zhou tribe rose to be strong and prosperous. In these legends, agriculture and food were important assets for people. A folk song in the Book of Odes describes life during Gong Liu's time. People worked hard on the land and celebrated the harvest with a festival. Folk songs were part of the Book of Odes. They were collected by Zhou officials. The Book of Odes is said to have been compiled by Confucius and was included among the Confucian classics. It shows recognition of the cultural significance of the lifestyle of people at the bottom by the mainstream discourse at the top. It is Confucius' lifetime dream to restore the Zhou culture. It is not a coincidence or a wonder that agriculture is the top priority of Confucianism and the top agenda of Chinese dynasties with Confucianism as the dominant values and governance principles. Household farming dominated China's agriculture. Rural households possessed their own assets. There was no mass slave labor on farms in ancient China. In addition, Asian rural households were not isolated from each other. They were closely bonded by blood. This means the land they worked and lived on was not only the source for their living, but also the root of their family trees. They held a very deep attachment to their farmland. For ancient Chinese scholars holding Confucian values, the combination of farming and learning were the ideal lifestyle. Even today, on the gate of some Asian buildings, you can find wooden tablets with the same inscriptions, which means that farming and learning were family traditions for generations. The supremacy of Confucianism began in the late 2nd century BCE during the rule of Emperor Wu of the Western Han. But Confucian ethical standards were mainly followed by the ruling class and did not reach ordinary people. Farming and learning were not popular among elite groups. It was the implementation of the imperial exam system that made it possible and even desirable for a scholar to engage in both jobs. The system was launched in the early 7th century during the Sui dynasty and was well established by the 10th century during the Northern Song dynasty. Passing the imperial exam was a life-changing experience for men. It built a national link between farming and learning as a poem said to have been written by a Northern Song scholar, Wang Zhu noted, one who works on the land in the morning can meet the emperor and be appointed as an official in the evening if he succeeds in the exam. Many scholars did have to work on the land for a living unless they were born to a rich family or enjoyed a good political career after passing the imperial exam. But we cannot understand farming and learning just literally 
as two separate jobs in a narrow sense. They represented a cultural tradition that shaped undefined ancient Chinese scholars' souls. Chinese scholars trained to refine their Confucian attributes and accomplish their divine missions. Farming or countryside life, whether engaging in farming personal or not, provided them not only with a means of livelihood in ancient agricultural society, but was also part of the efforts to deliver the dream of building a Confucian society by leading social governance and education in rural communities. Three prominent scholars in the 11th century during the Northern Song played a key role in promoting the scholarly lifestyle of doing both farming and learning. Zhang Zai was a leading Confucian philosopher. He opposed reform, which was championed by the Prime Minister Wang Anshi, an emperor. So he resigned and returned to Hongqiu town, a poor rural place in today's Shanxi province, where he had lived for years before he started his political career. He spent the rest of his life there, living on his farmland, writing books and teaching students. He even designed a land reform policy, which is intended to reduce the severe wealth gap and solve the government's fiscal crisis. But he died before he could launch his trial project. He led his students and local villagers in building water conservation projects. Known as Mr. Hongqiu, he is remembered in China's history for his advocacy and practice of taking the responsibility to serve the country and the people and carrying on Confucianism for generations. Since then, this responsibility became a sacred mission of ancient Chinese scholars. What he did in Hongqiu was a good example. Zhang was one of the Northern Song philosophers who developed the Confucian theory which put human reason above sensibility. This theory advocates the pursuit of reason and ethical standards by stoical repression of desires. It had a far-reaching influence on Chinese society. Stringent moral standards became social norms. For example, Cheng Hao, Zhang's nephew and a founder of the theory, was known for never losing his temper. Even Wang Anshi, the prime minister who held a different political standpoint, respected him. Like his uncle, Cheng strongly opposed Wang Anshi's reform and retreated from politics. He concentrated on academic research and promotion of his theory. He and his brother Cheng Yi often lectured at Songyang Academy, a private educational institution at Songshan Mountain in Henan province. He brought Confucian ideas to the wider public, even in the mountains. In ancient China, scholars who passed the imperial exam in the same year treated each other as fellow alumni. But Lu Dajun, another scholar, admired Zhang Zai so much that he treated Zhang as his mentor, although he passed the imperial exam with Zhang and Cheng Hao in the same year. Inspired by what Zhang had done for the villagers, Lu initiated a democratic self-governance contract in his own village, also in today's Shanxi province. His purpose was to improve the ethical and educational standards by using Confucian values in the countryside.
He sponsored the formulation of China's first written rules that villagers agreed to follow. The rules included how to behave decently in daily life, avoid bad conduct like drinking too much or slandering, and how to deal with disputes. Villagers voluntarily signed up to the contract and could choose to quit later. Supervisors to ensure the enforcement of the rules were elected regularly. This contract had a very long influence on rural self-governance during the Ming and Qing dynasties. Some scholars who passed the imperial exam but did not hold official positions and officials who retired from imperial service played a big role in rural governance during the Ming and Qing dynasties. Lu You, a famous poet from the 12th and early 13th centuries during the Southern Song dynasty, spent most of his life in his rural town in today's Zhejiang province. He wrote a lot of poems about rural life he experienced or witnessed. Qin Qiji, another famous literate and politician in the Southern Song, also spent most of the years since his middle age in rural residence in today's Jiangxi province. He called his house the house of farming. Zeng Guofan, a prominent politician in the 19th century during the Qing dynasty, repeatedly asked his sons and nephews in his hometown to keep involved in farming and learning and make it a family tradition to pass down. Today, rural life is much less attractive than urban life for young people. The traditional farming and learning among scholars has been lost amid urbanization and industrialization. But there is still a huge rural population, particularly children left behind by their parents working in cities. Like in ancient times, they provide food for us and need food for the soul. That is the end of our podcast. Thank you to our writer Zhang Yue, editor and translator Li Jia, and copy editor Kathleen Nade. We hope you enjoyed it, and thank you for listening. See you next week.